We had listening stations set up at the, in the garages. We'd go to the parks doing ball games. I always say, do you learn more about the community sitting in the stands than you do in a board meeting? So I think Dan had led that charge over the years of just getting out there and engaging with your people. Don't, they're not going to come to the council meetings. You have to go to them in your place where they live, work, and play. What I would add on top of that is that I think the thing that we have been successful at, and again, that was started many years ago with the board in that engagement is that it became institutionalized in the organization. And it's not just a one-off. We were going to do a survey as a part of the the comp plan or the, yes, we did those things or that we're going to go out and engage and do public participation around this plan or a parks and rec that plan. We found ways, i.e. Jerry and the board found ways to make those an ongoing dialogue, the coffee and conversations, which are, were really about conversations, right? And that's a two-way dog, and that has become institutionalized in the organization. Jerry mentioned the HOA forum. We have a, a bi-monthly meeting now with our homeowners associations, lots of plans and developments in Cranberry. We routinely get 25 homeowners associations, the presidents of those groups or vice presidents or board members to come to the HOA forum where we are having a dialogue with them. And what better way to reach it? They literally represent 20,000 people. Those 25 neighborhoods represent 20,000 people in this community. And they obviously have their ear to the ground in their community. So it's always about listening, sharing with the things that are going on in the township and having that engagement. And that's just become institutionalized in the engagement process here. I have a few mantras to introduce today's theme. We are better together. We are our best when we show ourselves to our community. While our silos isolate us, community unites us. Today, my guests are two distinguished municipal managers from Pennsylvania. Jerry Andre, the former manager, and Dan Santoro, the current manager of Cranberry Township in Butler County, Pennsylvania. We are going to talk about regional partnerships. Why are they important? And what skills do you need to be successful in this arena? We are going to drill down into the area of relationship building and engagement. And as you will discern, this is the secret sauce that has made this township evolve the way it has over the years. But before we get started, I want to call out an elephant in the room. When we hear about something awesome at Cranberry Township, we also hear with affection that this is Cranberry Township, of course they can do this. They have the resources, but they haven't always had the resources. In 1960, the population was 3,596. Their location near main arteries did change the course of their history from an agricultural community to a light industrial and suburban community. Between 1980 and 1990, when Jerry first stepped in as manager, the population grew to 14,816. Today, the estimated population is around 33,768. They are not unusual in any way, but they grew with intention. Many junctures along the way could have led to much different outcomes. So it behooves us to think about 
what has been happening in Cranberry over the last several decades to understand how a community can grow with intention and focus on engagement. There are no two better people to give us insights than Jerry and Dan. I met Jerry in the 1980s when he was a young, energetic manager with a keen desire and ability to connect with people. A few years later, when I stopped in to visit him at his new job at Cranberry, the township building was under construction. It wasn't a building so much as a community center. This may not seem novel today, but in the 80s, I guarantee it was. Cranberry Township has set a high bar for engagement. I began this interview by asking Jerry to go back to those early years. And one little side note before we get started, we had a problem with Jerry's sound when we start out, but we did work it out, so stick with us. Hope you will enjoy this. Let's get started. Municipalities that have a lot of resources that don't do what Cranberry Township does. So I want to try to get at some of those differentiating factors. I'm going to let Jerry start. If you would share, Jerry, just something about those early times. Kind of me the most when I was uh, in the position in 1990 was being a long-time student of local government. Most people, when you ask people where they live, they always mention their post office. Mm-hmm. They don't mention the township. And in 90, everyone said, it was about they lived in Cranberry Township. And there was such tremendous pride in the community. We had no Cranberry Township post office back then. We were either four or five post offices. Everyone reflected upon, they would say, I live in Cranberry, and they all had a very positive view of the future. They really were planning for the future. And that's what really sparked my interest in following through, and ultimately they selected me. So I think it was a vision for their community. They had a citizen selection committee that narrowed the list down and gave it to the Board of Supervisors, which also very much impressed me that the board wasn't involved until the very end for the top three candidates. Yes. And at the time, did you know any of the board members personally? Nope. We were blessed with some great leaders back then. And many people that I met back then were still friends. And we still socialized together, had some great local elected leadership. And we had those normal political battles on the side. We always raised above it and kept focused on where the community wanted to go and not allow ourselves in trenches in that, in that war. And Dan joined us actually within six or eight months after I got hired, I had the opportunity to hire a community development person. And I hired Dan in mid-1991, wasn't it, Dan, that came up. So Dan joined the Cranberry team very early on and helped bring the plan to move forward. That's wonderful. Dan, I'd really love it for you to talk about when you came on board. Yeah, as Jerry said, I came on board in not too long after Jerry took over as manager in, in 1991. My path to local government was a little different. I was working for another municipality, had been there for about two and a half years, but it's a very different kind of community than Cranberry Township is. And it was in a community close to where I grew up. The same that comes to mind to me that it's better to be lucky than good sometimes. I knew after having worked for two years in local government that it was a career for me. My, my undergraduate degree was in planning. I was working as a zoning officer in a borough south of Pittsburgh. And that area was really going through the late stages of the steel decline and all the challenges of older urban communities and things like that. 
at that time, I was just looking to advance my career. And I, as I recall, I applied for an ad in one of the Pittsburgh papers and was lucky enough to get an interview from Jerry at the time and uh, was really, didn't know a whole lot about Cranberry. I knew what I knew about a depressed older, I worked in a third class city and the kinds of things that happened there. And then I arrived at Cranberry and did my research and said, wow, this is really different. This is where you really can use your planning skills and the things that learn to evolve and set the course of a community because there are things happening there. The challenges are different, certainly, and older communities can certainly start their paths forward and make progress also, but it was a very different type of community. So I was very lucky to have uh, uh, been selected for an interview. And I don't know, I'm going to have to ask Jerry, you know, what, I don't know what he saw in me, but I can't tell you how much it has meant to my career to have a mentor like Jerry and to have started in a place like Cranberry and have that opportunity over all these years. So let's stay with that just for a minute. So you worked with Jerry and there, he, there was a mentoring relationship is what I heard you just say. I'm going to guess though, that the truth is you learned a lot from each other. Jerry, was that True. Absolutely. Yeah. That Dan brought tremendous skills and planning and working with people. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think this is a fine point in the manager relationships among the management team that I think is this give and take back and forth. So for Dan, if you were to describe Jerry in those early years, what are some of the qualities that made him a good mentor? So absolutely supportive, right? And engaged, right? Jerry was always open to ideas and thoughts and direction. And, but I had a lot of idealistic thoughts that were still left over from my planning school days. And I think that's one of the things I try to mentor into to young folks also, because ideas are great, right? And you need to have them and you need to have vision, but there's the practical side of local government. So Jerry would never say no to any idea. Jerry would, in his way, okay, how do we get there? Or like, what's the practical application of that? Or what does that mean? Always asking good probing questions to say, okay, let's think about all of the things that impact whatever that particular policy direction or land use decision is. It was, he did it in a way that was it was so encouraging. And then the other thing that just everybody knows, Jerry knows, right, was the passion, right? Who doesn't want to work for someone who's passionate all in, in what they do? This is not, I say it all the time, this is not a, this isn't a job. This isn't not even, it's not necessarily not even a career. It's a life choice in mm -hmm. a place like Cranberry. And Jerry was all in and it was, it is infectious. And I, not just for me, I think it was everybody around them, the elected officials, the other staff. And uh, it's hard not to get on board with that and say, hey, that's where I want to be. And mm -hmm. let's do some great things. Now, I'm sure there was a lot of people at that time that had great ideas. So I guess the other piece of this that's interesting to me is how is it that between you and Jerry that you were able to how did you keep managing the ideas that were coming at you? I would imagine that would make you somewhat vulnerable. So I'm sure Jerry played some role in, in filtering or shielding, or I don't know, what's the word? Yeah, no, I would agree. I would say to you, there's lots of ideas still on that, that were left on that planning room floor, if you will, that didn't make the, or it wasn't time. They weren't 
ripe or it wasn't their time. Again, it was done in such a way that Jerry did it in such a way where obviously he was in tune with what was going on in the community and what was right and in tune with the elected officials and what there, there was a willingness to do a capability of doing, but it was always done in a way that was, yeah, I, okay. So maybe this isn't the right path or direction at this time. You were never met with this. No, that's a dumb idea, right? You, it was always the feedback to say, okay, but what about this? And what about that? And how will we do this? And does that make sense in the, in this particular instance? So it was this interactive, as I saw it, as a young planner, staff member working for Jerry, that, that interaction that I never got discouraged, right? It was okay, well, let's keep thinking what's next and how do we advance? And there were lots of ideas that were good ideas that we ended up finding ways to implement. Jerry, did the board tend to respect the fact that they go through you to get their ideas heard? Yes. And said, we worked real hard in building a relationship with the elected officials, knew what they were thinking, where they wanted to head. They respected the structure and they respected the, the ruled manager. Now, every manager has to earn that respect. But yeah, I think we triaged many ideas the staff had and Dan led that to match up with what I was hearing from the supervisors. What's the current demand? And you learn to advance what people could absorb, what your elected officials can absorb. You don't want to hit them with a tidal wave of ideas. And so we, as the Cranberry was growing, were the fastest growing the country at the time. So it was drinking from a fire hose, but... The key was we had great elected officials. We had some political battles on the side, but the elected officials were always so positive. We always have this, this saying, Dan still has it from the board. I always point to the staff. Oh, we got the best manager and staff in the world. But we always say it's because we have a great board. They allow you to hire competent, professional people. And that's the recipe, I believe, for Cranberry successful that the board stays 30,000 feet, creates a vision, and holds staff accountable to get it there. How does that vision get created? What are some of the ways in which that vision is brought forward? I think you build a culture of accountability, responsibility, and res the governing body is always in charge. Every good manager wants to make their board look good. You know, what's the old saying? Bad things happen, the manager takes the heat. Good things happen that goes to the elected officials. So I think it's building that history of just being accountable and responsible, professional, and ingraining in your DNA. Yeah. I'm sure it's hard to step back in some ways and see how it was accomplished. But from the outside, working with different municipalities, I see when you really come down to it, a lot of times the board is relying on the management staff to produce what they need to have a vision, the data they need, the information they need, maybe even the crafting of the language. But I don't think this is really well known. And so it's one of the ways in which managers can fly under the radar. But you do have elected officials that do come on with a sense of good governance that have a sense of an idea of where the township should go. I guess I'm asking you, when you think over it, if there is a board with a good vision and they say it's because they have good staff, what is it that you're doing to help them to clarify their vision or make that vision more clear to the community? 
I think fortunately, like when Dan came board, he was a professional planner. Cranberry from the very beginning had a commitment to planning and communications. Board considers its residents as the shareholders and the feedback from the community and with the rapidly growing community, the board allowed the management to spend a lot of time and resources in engaging the public. We had a hundred member citizens advisory committee. The board let us, it gave us the resources to keep people involved. It really wasn't the board of supervisors driving the vision. They created the process to engage the shareholders. That's, and then we, we aligned what the board did with what the shareholders wanted. It was a win-win. People were seeing very positive results. Certainly moving down that avenue was difficult. And we'll get to that, how, why we had a little separation of service during that time, because it was an all-out battle from the major property owners who did not like the direction the board was taking it. I think it just at the strength of Cranberry's commitment to planning communications, the board puts money into the communication efforts, and it's a two-way, it's not a PR machine. It really is a two-way uh, between the residents, shareholders, and the governing body. That's very interesting that you say it that way. And Dan, would you concur? Is there anything you'd like to add to that part of it? That no, I think Jerry hit it right on. I think the only other word that I would throw in there is that trust between the elected officials and the management staff, right? Because without that trust, none of those things get done. So working again, Jerry, something I learned over my years of career is that it takes a long time to build trust with elected officials. And when you build it, you work real hard to keep that trust because the moment that trust is broken, the whole system breaks down, right? Being candid and honest, making sure the board is always informed because after all, as Jerry said, they are the ones that are ultimately accountable to the public and us through them, right? So that, that's the other piece that I think that is, is important from a management board relations perspective. Yeah. If I could add one more, one of our great leaders in those many years was the late Dick Cadley. And one of his great sayings that really always is with us is it's easy to do nothing and it's hard to do the right thing. And the board over those 30 plus years always did the right thing. And as a measurement of their success, they always got reelected. Despite major political shenanigans going around trying to stop them, they always won re-election. So they are out front and they are actively saying, we want to engage. We want to engage. And so they're thinking of the process. And now the staff are is following through by garnering that, that information, convening groups, what else? What are you doing at that time to get the information back from members? Surveys, is well, it like all the, the above? It's engagement. We always said, people's not, the residents not gonna come to your board meetings. We went out to the community. We had neighborhood walks that we would coordinate with the HOAs that the supervisors would walk through plans. We had listening stations set up at the, in the garages. We'd go to the parks doing ball games. I always say, do you learn more about the community sitting in the stands than you do in a board meeting? So I think Dan had led that charge over the years of just getting out there and engaging with your people. Don't, they're not going to come to the council meetings. You have to go to them 
and you're a place where they live, work, and play. What I would add on top of that is that I think the thing that we have been successful at, and again, that started many years ago with the board in that engagement is that it became institutionalized in the organization. And it's not just a one-off. We were going to do a survey as a part of the the comp plan or the, yes, we did those things, or that we're going to go out and engage and do public participation around this plan or a parks and rec that plan. We found ways, i.e. Jerry and the board found ways to make those an ongoing dialogue, the coffee and conversations, which are, were really about conversations, right? And that's a two-way dog, and that has become institutionalized in the organization. Jerry mentioned the HOA forum. We have a a bi-monthly meeting now with our homeowners associations, lots of plans and developments in Cranberry. We routinely get 25 homeowners associations, the presidents of those groups or vice presidents or board members, to come to the HOA forum where we are having a dialogue with them. And what better way to reach it? They literally represent 20,000 people. Those 25 neighborhoods represent 20,000 people in this community. And they obviously have their ear to the ground in their community. So it's always about listening, sharing with the things that are going on in the township and having that engagement. And that's just become institutionalized in the engagement process here. We're always looking for ways to engage and listen to our shareholders and make sure that we're acting accordingly. What I love about what you're saying is that this all happened like before you had like video content and probably before Facebook and this was just grassroots. Yeah, we laughed at that. We, in the mid nineties, when we had the major shift in the board's philosophy on growth management, we did a slideshow called how to grow a cranberry. And we had, remember Dan, it was the slideshow. Slideshow. We carried all around in every place we could get some time, but it was the old fashioned slide projectors and carrying the screen in the slide projector. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And the board members, what was staff framed the logistics and framed the issue, but the elected officials was actively involved with those presentations. So that's the key is that constant feedback. You never get misaligned with what your community is thinking, saying, and wishing. Yeah. Something I think we have to get clear about today is the difference between what's happening, like a communications manager. These are all great new roles, social media manager, all of these new roles we need, but we can't let go of what was at the core. And sometimes I'm afraid that they're getting siloed off when I interview staff and I hear them say, I work on tweets that get out what we're doing, or I work on the Facebook posts. And I think, so where does the relationship happen? And I think it's an area that's not talked about enough, that the engagement piece needs to be refreshed in terms of what it might look like. So I think you just gave a little mini class on really what that looks like, old school, but needs to be part of. Certainly Dan's continuing an enhanced communication program. But you can't, you can never beat face-to-face relationships, personal relationships. Yeah. And how we do that today is a challenge. So we can acknowledge that. I don't know, Dan, if there's anything that, that you would add to that, but certainly times are changing, particularly since the pandemic, that people are not quite as available. You find that? 
Yeah, I do. And I do think we're missing something there, right? I do think those personal relationships are easier to develop in a one-on-one or as a part of a group. There's as much happens before a coffee and conversation and after a coffee and conversation that happens during the group interactive piece of that, right? And it's always developing that. So I think I think that's some of the challenges we see in communities that that how do we continue to engage and and build relationships in a world where folks can hide behind a keyboard candidly and be keyboard terrorists about a topic without having it without it without engaging in any real meaningful way yeah yeah i'd like to talk a little bit about some of the regional work you all have done and it's a good place to build on this because i don't think there's any regional work if you don't first start with the engagement and the relationship piece and I know in our earlier conversation before this call, we we did address the importance of relationship building. But I want to start out by just having you both talk about why the Stormwater Project came up uh, on the horizon. Like, what was the initiative that even made it a thought bubble? <laughs> Maybe before we delve into that specific topic, I want to talk about the culture of intergovernmental cooperation. As you mentioned previously, Cranberry is very committed to strategic planning. And the Cranberry Plan is a strategic plan. And in that plan, early on, the residents identified the importance of collaboration with our neighbors. And our board embraced that. So long before the stormwater crisis hit us, we, all, we already had a commitment from our community and our board to support and encourage dialogue with our neighbors, with our county officials and state officials. So that was the culture in which the stormwater issue suddenly came upon the horizon. And Dan, he took it from there. Because there's that already that sort of buy-in in in working regionally, there was a catastrophic event, a flood in some of the neighboring communities and hardest hit were some of those old boroughs and and the boroughs were traditionally along the water courses, probably seeing the brunt of that, but we all experienced some flooding. What, was that a year, one event, or a series of events? What was it, 19, 2000, what year? 19, Dan? Yeah, I think 2019 was what it was. And, it, and as a result of that, there was some clamoring by individual municipalities that we needed to do something. The county convened a county-wide summit, if you will, to talk about flooding and what communities could do and what their role was. But really what spun out of that was this conversation that the 10 communities that are engaged in this Southwest Butler County stormwater, regional stormwater effort were saying, okay, we're going to take that charge seriously and we're going to start to meet and talk about what it is, what are those things that we can do collectively to find ways to have an impact on these events going forward. And that may take a long time, and it certainly will, but the success that was born out of that, just starting in, in I, I won't say informal, but it really was an informal way to re- meet regularly and talk about what are the issues and what are the challenges and what do we do about that, led to the engagement of a consultant to do a study on behalf of those 10 communities to identify the challenges but also the opportunities, the things that we could work together on. And it has just grown from there. Highbury actually provided the resources to do all the logistics. Cranberry, they re- as you attempt to bring 10 communities together, that takes a lot of time and effort. 
fortunately, Cranberry was able to do that because of their values and the importance of just getting to know you worked with your neighbors. Plus, there was always the perception that Cranberry was growing so much that perhaps we were adding to the stormwater problem. But in reality, Cranberry was 10 years ahead. Cranberry had a very aggressive, that one with 160, what's the plan number? 167, yeah. 167, very aggressive stormwater management program, but still their perception was, in a way, it was about showing that Cranberry is not contributing to the problem and the value of just getting people around the table. You didn't pay for the consultant study. Did everybody pay for the study? Yeah, we all pitched in for the study. The other thing I want to just highlight that Jerry hit on there, right? Like in, in we had a lot, we've had many conversations about this together. It's one thing to get the group together and to talk about things. And we always found that we, some of the loudest voices that were the hardest him impacted, those loud voices would always be at the meeting and say, we should do this and we should do that. And we, the real r rubber hits the road when you say, who's we? Who's taking the actual next step? What is it that, who is taking ownership of that? Thing? And I would say that we try to continue to keep the group focused and in that, from that perspective, okay, who's we, what do we mean by that? And if we all think we should be doing something, we all need stake in the great, the game. Right? And that's how we got to this point of let's do the study, but we all are going to have to participate in that study and have stake in the game. Let me just ask you a few details, just in case this is something that, that might be important that you don't think about, but could be. First of all, you said it was informal and you said that the logistics were done at the township. Was that one of your administrative assistants, somebody at that level that's handling logistics? Like yes. That, okay. right early on, it was yeah. the logistics of organizing 10 communities just on a pick of a day in a location and yeah. rasting that's an cool. agenda. Like that's herding cats. I know. that. that so I'm just curious because I think people might want to know this, like how that actually happened. So you had somebody like an administrative person that would oversee the logistics and you decided to meet where? We started meeting at one of the municipal offices. We moved it around a little bit to try and move it around. And that's what's continued to this day, right? It's We've gotten to the point now where the host community will move it around. We try to move it around every month and the host community provides lunch. We do it. Okay. We start with a lunch and then go into the meeting and an agenda. Um, but we also knew that in order to keep this effort going, it, the burden couldn't fall all on one community. So we took the next step, right? And to engage a consultant to keep us moving the right direction, right? We, every municipality and the folks who are represented at that table have, once you leave your office, you go back to your, you leave the meeting, you go back to your office and there's many things you have to deal with, right? In addition to the first study, we all came back together and put additional funding together to have hire a consultant, public partners. And by the way, we identified the consultant Jerry Andre from Public Partners that would continue to advance and keep us moving forward because we all recognize the burden of any one community continuing to do that was a risk, right? Like we, we didn't want to fall apart. We wanted to continue to find ways to advance the objectives. Yeah. I want to drill down again then in that meeting, in that informal setting, was there an informal leader or did you decide on something more formal in terms of leadership of the meeting, conducting that meeting? 
No, I generally was taking a lead. Jerry was a key role in that and organizing the thoughts and the agenda and the next steps, preparing agenda. So yes, we, I would say by default, because we took on that sort of administrative role, we also took on that informal leadership role of making sure that there was an agenda and we had topics that we were working through and advancing and yeah. following up on. Yeah, I am the facilitator and the manager of the group. Dan's on it. Dan's got great leadership skills. We do a lot of engaging with the members, find out what they are that what they want and where they want to go. And then my job is to listen, frame that issue, and then give them some food to address that issue. So that's my role. It's so interesting what you're capturing there is that role of engagement facilitator, which you're taking on, Jerry, which allows Dan to step up to the plate with the leadership and the ideas. The others in the room are all coming together. I guess they're all managers that are at the table. No. Oh. Actually, the majority are elected officials. Because in Butler County, we don't have a lot of professional managers. What do we have? Two managers on that, on that committee, Dan? I think three. Jackson, Adams. And Zeely. And Zeely. Yeah. And myself. So four. We're all elected our officials. Yeah. But I do think that what you're describing here is something that is very important for success if anyone's thinking about doing regional work, that the role that Jerry takes on has it's a whole piece on, in and of itself as a facilitator. And by having somebody take that role, it allows the others around the table to, to share in that sort of conversation that requires a different kind of thought process and leadership yeah. as you and, and I don't want to, I don't want to miss the point either that, uh, again, I'm going to attribute this to, to Jerry, right? And I talked about trust earlier, but the relation, the individual relationships with those communities were there, right? Like between Jerry knew everybody and Jerry developed a relationship with Evan City Borough and Zelianopo and Jackson. So there was that relationship building on a one-on-one, on a one-on-one -on -one basis that created trust that when the group came together, right, it really served the group well. There was, there were, we joke now, right, because we've been at it for a couple of years, but early on, two of those communities would do nothing but you know, bark at each other via the media about how they were not, you know, was the other's fault kind of deal. And now that's, that is totally gone, right? There's this trust. And just by bringing people to the table, that's, that sniping no longer goes on. And, you know, that there were some individual relationships early on that helped bring everybody to the table. So the progress here is that relationship building comes at the very early stages. It happens before you tackle something this challenging. It certainly helps to have a relationship before you, you start having meaningful dialogue. Yes, it's hard to have an open dialogue if you don't know each other. And those relationships in the early stages, just to tease this out a little bit, they were, it could be anything. You might call them to say, hey, do you know anything about XYZ? Can you just describe the relationship building or was it a social, was it? It was mainly, you know, Dan and I both would attend all governmental meetings. The county would have meetings. And our board always supported the neighbor. Cranberry was quite often, there was a little bit of maybe, how do you define the anger toward Cranberry? All of that Cranberry. Even about our county, there was resentment toward Cranberry. But sometimes in my profession, I could say this in a loving way, 
that sometimes our profession doesn't, they want everybody to be at the same level. And when you rise above a little bit, there's a maybe a, I don't use the word jealousy, but they try to knock you down. So we were always experiencing that. And part of our relationship was building to say, hey, we're not this big, nasty community over here. We really are your neighbors. So we just made an effort that if something happened in the communities that they needed a dump truck or needed an unfriended loader, we'd call and say, hey, you need help. Our board was always the first one to say, call them and see if they need help. So I think that's that organic. You just yeah. build that relationship and trust. Yeah. Yeah. And some, there is some longevity there as well. So you both, and by 2019, we missed this piece. I wanted to make sure we caught the fact that, Dan, you did leave to pursue some other opportunities and then returned. And I told you, I thought it sounded a little bit like the sound of music. What is the, what is the emotion behind this? Why did you run away? And why did you return to us? And so I think it's a good story for maybe other managers to also hear. Well, can I set the stage first, Dan? You can. Yes, sir. And we had a very, very difficult political environment. The major landowners, the more supervisors got, it was a brand new board came in. And through a great involvement, engagement effort, they really started driving the township in a total different direction on how they manage land use. That angered the major property owners and the developers. And they were amassing candidates to run against the board of supervisors. And one of the candidates they gave, they got was one of Dan's administrative assistants to run. And uh, it was clear from those candidates, they were going to fire Dan and I if they got control. So that set the stage for Dan looking at his own professional career. And yeah, I would say and there's nuance to that also, right? The, so the, the little known factor that's, I actually left Cranberry twice and came back <laughs> twice, right? But in the nineties, right in, in the middle part of the nineties, and I left, this is the time that Jerry's talking about that as all local government professionals and managers are planning folks so you evaluate like, oh gosh, where's my career going here as a family, I'm the a provider. So you, it makes you think and makes you, you makes you wonder. But that was the catalyst the, the first time around. And then I did come back and was here for some time after that. The second time was really more one from a, I would say I was at a point in my career in my life. I thought, boy, I wasn't looking. I got recruited to go to the place I went to. So I wasn't actively looking for a job, but I did that internal evaluation that we all do and say, if I'm going to ever try something other than local government, now's the time to do that and see where that leads. And that was where I went. And in reflection on my time away, it, it was what a great learning experience. I got to work with dozens and dozens of municipalities in, in that time. I don't know how else to say it, but see how other folks live, right? How those other communities work for good and for bad. And it also makes me reflect every day about how blessed I am to be in the role I'm in at this point and why it was so easy to come back this last time and uh, be with the community. I had great success in doing that private sector stuff. I, mean, I enjoyed it, but there's not, I would say, what, what you miss in, in, in the that consulting side where I was, at least, was they do plans and work with communities, whether it was comprehensive plans or economic development stuff or any particular project. You leave them with the plan and then they you leave them to implement it. You 
you work really hard, you get engaged, then you leave it at their doorstep. And then the satisfaction of the implementation of that, the result of that isn't the same. It isn't the same. You're proud of what you do, and but some plans go forward and some don't. And that's what really brought, was one of the real things that brought me back as well as what a great community this was and the kinds of things that were going on here. And oh, by the way, I get to come back for a third time to work for one of the greatest mentors of my life. And he was a mentor while I was away. I never got too far away. Breakfast and lunch with Jerry was a regular thing during that period of being away both times. So. Oh, I love that. Didn't burn bridges. Yeah, and yeah, actually, we had a great, great relationship over those years. And our board's always big on secession planning too. So I was always looking out there, who's going to secede the manager? And so I always, and Dan's experience in the private sector made him such a strong manager to take mm -hmm. over. I mean, it was a credit to what yeah. it's resume building. So let it be known that to go away doesn't always mean you can't come back, that the relationships are the thing that, that really builds that continuity. And it sounds like the first time too, the change in the board, who doesn't know about that? That it, it, we do know that there is, I know managers don't like to a lot of change, but they go through it all the time. So it's, it's good to know that you could come back and keep moving forward. And it seems very healthy. And so we go back to now this regional work that you're doing. And we talked about all that was involved in getting this to work. But I still want you to help listeners today understand why you did this, why you added this to your plate when it is a lot of work and as they say, what are the tangible outcomes, the tangible value of this to, to Cranberry Township? I'm good. I wait and, I, and I'll start by saying Jerry answered that question earlier on because when he used the phrase that Dick Hadley always used, it's easy to do nothing. It would have been much easier to do nothing. It's hard to do the right thing, right? And that's where, that's the place you, when you start from that place, you think, okay, Let's figure out a way that we can work together. We have done things in this, this study, this group that will create tangible benefits to reduce flooding in those communities downstream long-term. Things like tweaking back release rates in Cranberry Township, where those flows ultimately end up two communities later that were impacted by those flows, right? The other thing that I would say, and maybe Jerry would add on to this, is that we also know that this is, uh, we were hopeful or hopeful in starting this path, that this is not the only thing that we will address or need to address from a regional and cooperative perspective. So while we were already ahead of the stormwater curve and could do some additional things to, to have positive impacts on downstream communities. We also knew that by building this in, in we were, we didn't have the same kind of impacts, but building these relationships and this group of Southern Butler County communities will become the building blocks when we start to address, when we need to start talking about and addressing other challenges that we're all facing volunteer fire service, emergency EMS services, policing, all of those other kinds of things that this group 
and formalizing advancing this group will be helpful when we need to tackle those other difficult issues because we've already built the relationship and we've already demonstrated we can be successful at something. And while we don't all get exactly what we want, working collectively is better for all of us. If there's no valid arguments to say that collaboration doesn't result in good things. It's better government. It's better use of the taxpayers' resources when we work together. It's just common sense. The world would be better if we all found ways to work together versus focusing on our differences. We're very careful. People come to that meeting with very different political spectrums, but when they come to that meeting, we're focused on common sense kinds of issues. And people really feel good after that meeting. They feel like the uh, Dan had to miss yesterday, but one of the staff was there. The group is talking about, oh, we can do this next. Let's talk about this. As part of the Dan said, it's the group is excited about finding ways to work on other issues. So it is a little bit of a challenge about logistics. They go, oh my, am I becoming a cog director? You know, am I, so so it's not challenging for me because I'm an individual dispatch. It's challenging for the guy who's facilitating us. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's like Dan said, it's understanding what it takes to keep a group moving in the same direction. If you look at the way the United Nations in New York City, the billions of dollars goes to keep those diplomats working together to move the same direction. Yeah. It's much different with a group of 10 or 11 communities is what it takes to keep them moving in a positive way forward. Yeah. Uh, the biggest underestimate that people don't realize what it takes to keep that momentum moving forward, teaching that and not opening doors to conflict. And it's so why we're talking about it. I'm very excited. We'll be talking to Eric Neuenberg from the Center Region Council of Governments. And, yeah. and Dan Zimmerman, I think I mentioned him to you before. My interview with him, it was a podcast interview. He is a gem in this regard, similar to you, just a lot of energy applied to, I call it the hub concept, where you have a municipality with resources, and they're able to do things to facilitate some of the larger inner, the cooperative. It's a natural for some managers. It's just a natural way of thinking. And I, I want to ask too, this goes to the resource question. Did you, are you, your staff responsible for applying for funding and so forth? Are you doing some of that backbone work for at I'm just curious. No, that no, no, we're connecting the dots. We're connecting people. Some of the communities in our group are very small. They have no, maybe a part-time staff person. We're not physically writing their grants, but we are connecting them to the right person that can help make that. Oh, that's great. Okay. You did mention in the, the prep call that there is funding for collaborative projects receives some favor. Yes. I thought that group just earned nearly $8 million worth of grants collectively. And a quarter of a million is going to, to having four communities work on a regional concept to potentially finding a new revenue stream to fund MS4 and stormwater and capital improvements, potentially a regional authority concept. So yeah, they, all those funding projects came out of the original plan the community did. And county commissioners love the collaboration. And it really reinforced that by saying, you guys have really stepped up to the plate, identified things that would have a profound impact. And they really supported it by awarding them nearly $8 million worth of grants that will do 
$10 million worth of work because the communities are also putting skin in the game. But it was that collaborative. They all supported each other in the yeah. application process. Yeah. Each community passed a resolution that, that was submitted with each application saying Cranberry supports Adams and Cranberry supports Zelenopol. And so as you hire officials in this county, love to hear one voice. And you accomplish so much more when you speak with one voice and mm -hmm. represent people. So great points, Jerry. And you did mention in there about the skin in the game. I think you mentioned it earlier when you proposed the study. That that, that was an important, those were important junctures along the way that you needed everybody to be part of the process. And I think you're reinforcing that. Let's round out our talk today with just zeroing in on the trust building piece. Again, it's easy to say you have to build trust. What does that mean? And I think we've talked a lot about the relationships today, but I'm thinking about any advice that either one of you might have that would identify some behaviors or activities that might help managers build trust with their leaders, employees, or community members. I know all managers have their particular style. I'd like to hear more from you both because this has been a real foundation of your success. Certainly check egos at the door, have strong listening skills, respect for people, understand everybody has a different perspective on life, a different perspective on solving their issues. So I think that's my perspective, listening, respect, and check egos at the door. Don't come there because you're somebody big from some big community. They, you know, that's my general thoughts. I would add is certainly I would re double down on the listening piece. It's something I learned from Jerry. Sometimes we all have to know ourselves and sometimes they have diarrhea at the mouth, right? Like doc, right? Like sometimes it's listen. That's why you got two ears and one mouth, right? So listen more than you speak. It, I would certainly reinforce, but I would also say what I learned from Jerry, and I think it's just his natural style is it's communicate, communicate, communicate with the elected officials, right? Mm -hmm. And in a way and engage them in a way that they want engaged, right? There's never a day that goes by. I'm not communicating with one or more of the board members. And it certainly never goes a week where I haven't communicated with all of them about something or another. And that is about listening to them. And two of them come in for weekly meetings, just to engage. Some of them are texting, some of them are phone calls, right? It's all a little different. It is always having your pulse on where those board members are, because they're all different. They all have different things that are important to them, different hot buttons, knowing those, learning those, and making sure you're communicating in a way that engages them so that they always feel like, and again, I think that builds the trust, right? Is that constant communication. I think that was just natural for Jerry. Maybe he doesn't say it because he just did it. And I think that's something I learned along the way from him and how he communicated with the board members always. Yep. I think that's an important point. Some people have a natural gift, but that doesn't mean that we, the rest of us, can't learn from them. We may never have that gift, but we can learn from them. I heard some other things through the talk today, just the sharing of food. You mentioned that. I know Jerry was is big on that, breaking bread together. I think that's beautiful. I think also the... I don't know if the words reliability, but that you come to the meeting and there is a purpose. There has been a preparation for what you're going to talk about. That's, I think, the facilitator role, the hosting role. 
I think that certainly builds trust that, number one, their time is going to be well spent and that thoughts and ideas are going somewhere. It's important when they walk in the room, something that always bugs me, if I'm invited to a meeting and I come by maybe two minutes late, there's no room for me at the table. Always make sure the, the table's big enough that everybody can sit around the table. Don't make someone have to sit on the side of the wall because, oh, I don't have a chair. That just shows a lack of respect for the people you've invited. Make sure the table's big enough to handle the folks you invited. Set up. Yeah, that's very valuable. And just, yeah, showing up and consistently think about that. So really the, the, the key is the relationship building. We've talked about really so many different ways that relationship is everything. Just any other thoughts you have on that? Gets back to your original statement about that's cranberry. I think Dan and I will both say anybody can do what we did at cranberry. It's not magic. It's not, there's nothing unique about it. It's just practicing the kind of skills that we've learned over the years to be successful. And so it's not, there's no magic dust sprinkled over cranberry township yeah it's not a nine to five job it's more a nine to five job public service is a vocation always kid dan and i talk it's lonely at the top and be the manager yes and it's important a manager has someone he or she could talk to because he or she cannot as your organization grows bigger you have a lot of people that that look up to you for direction so i encourage every manager to build a to find a mentor someone he or she could talk to uh, that it spread it to the organization. I, yeah, I would simply just echo and confirm that there are occasions when Jerry's phone rings at 930 on a random Thursday night after I'm leaving a meeting, just so I can get it off of my chest and he could talk me down. That's the mentor relationship we've had. It's nothing more than that relationship we've built, but it's good to be able to communicate. And I think I spent a lot of time with Cranberry and you know what you don't realize how lonely it is at the top until you're actually there. And I was as close to it as anyone, but until you actually move into that position, it's wow. Yeah. The, I thought I knew, but I really didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. No. Are there some other mentors that influenced you coming up through the profession that you want to mention? I'm sure there's many, but you mentioned them in the center region, Jim Steph. I always looked with admiration to the center region councils of government from many years ago. They mm-hmm. always seem to embrace and encourage, and they still have a very active in councils of government up there. So I was reflected on the on folks that, that created and led the center region. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And are there any people coming up now that you see or even retired, but just are standouts in the profession? Oh, absolutely. I think Dan's always on the lookout for one of the crises our profession is facing, we don't have a number of young folks going into our profession. Yeah. So part of a good managers is always looking and watching somebody and as they advance through their career. There are a number of people out there, certainly some of the oldsters like me, the Larry Clone, you know, all those guys that are re- retired. They're great leaders out there that re- that retired but staying engaged in, in their profession. But I know Dan's always looking for talents out there. Do you see young talent out there? I see more now than I did a few years ago. So I am somewhat encouraged. I don't think it's enough to backfill 
the onslaught that's coming in local government. Hopefully we find ways to correct that. But I do see more younger managers getting into the practice. There are some folks here in the in Western Pennsylvania that I think are bright, bright shining stars and examples of this is a profession that young foot, you know, a vocation that young people can get engaged in. What better way to have an impact in your communities? day-to-day life than what it is we do here at local government. We also lament quite a bit here that we don't see as much here in in the western part of the state as we see in the eastern part of the state when we work with our colleagues or even in the central part of the state. They seem to be a little further advanced in terms of the professionalism of the municipal management world. I don't think we... It's not as well respected here yet in all communities, and hopefully that continues to grow. Yeah, it's quite a spectrum in Pennsylvania, all the different sizes that we have. And there's so I appreciate the names that you all have given me. I hope to get more people into the podcast from the western part of the state. I just don't have as many relationships there, more of a distance thing than anything else. I also would love to come visit you guys again. And before we go, I just wanted, if Dan would mind, he was telling me about a new project that he's going to be attending an event today at four. And I thought that sounded pretty exciting. Maybe you could just give us the lowdown on that new project you have. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. We just in the last two weeks announced the acquisition of a farm in Cranberry Township. It has an agricultural preservation easement. It's a farm. Uh, that's, it's been a farm forever, right? The current family has owned the farm. The family that donated the farm to the township has been farming it since 1945 and really had a land ethic. And it's an exciting kind of opportunity for the township because it's different than, it's a different opportunity than our traditional municipal parks with active recreation, a pool and, or the golf course or any of those kinds of things. And it really centers around the agricultural history of Cranberry Township and Butler County and presents such great opportunities for connecting um, students of all ages to what it means to be a farmer and what it means to be the roots of this community. We are excited about opportunities in partnering with our local school districts and running elementary eight kids through some type of programming that shares with them how does food get to your table and what the importance of farming is. It's that kind of, or being able to just get out and maybe milk a cow, right? An opportunity you might not have and understand more about that history, that where we came from and the importance of of preserving that way of life moving forward because we all still need to eat, right? So we're really excited about that opportunity and thanks for asking. That's a beautiful vision. That sounds very exciting. So I know, Dan, that people can find you at Cranberry Township right in that office that we see you sitting in is a place that people can find you. I know Jerry's working with public partners at the consulting. I know he's now he's facilitating for one thing, this regional project is probably going to be getting into some other kinds of projects. And I know that Jerry is also active within the Pioneering Change community, which I helped to found, and he has, is on the advisory team. And I just talked to him today about helping out with some office hours every now and then where he might show up and be available for some advice and mentoring to some other managers. You both have been so generous in so many ways to local government, and it's been a thrill to have you on this podcast. Thank you, Nancy, for all that you're doing to promote the profession. We need more people like you and what you're doing and engaging the profession is something that we've been lacking for many years. And I applaud you. And as I said, I don't know how you find the time to do it all, but 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I echo Jerry's thoughts there, Nancy. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the great conversation. And thank you for what you're doing to advance the professionalism of local government, because it's important. You're welcome. It's been the most interesting conversations of my life to, to hanging out with municipal managers. You have great stories and I hope to do it for a long time to come. So we do too. Nice to be with you. Thank, Thank you. you. See you. Bye-bye. Bye.